Let's open our Bibles to the book of First Samuel. First Samuel 29. First Samuel 29. Verses 1 to 11. And I read. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the springs that is by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the laws of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish says to the said to the commanders of the Philistines. Is this not David, the son of uh, Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to the battle. To battle lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For now, will this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Will it not be uh, with the heads of the men here? Is not this David of whom they sang to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Akish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out in with me in the campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, what have I done? What have, what have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I should not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? Dakish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then, Rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord whom, who came with you and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Let's ask the Lord for help before we hear his word. O oh Lord, we come before you this evening. And we ask you for your help as we are about to hear your word. Help me that I would be, again, Lord, clear and faithful and simple. Oh Lord, would you help me that I would bring your word in a way that it would be a blessing to your people, that it would strengthen the weak, that it would warn the careless, that it would save the lost, in our midst. 
Oh Lord, we pray that you would be exalted as your word goes forth. Please hear us, for we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Compromise is a situation that many Christians find themselves tempted into or have fallen into. And the best way to illustrate what compromise is like and how compromise in the beginning looks sweet, looks attractive, but later it, we realize that it has brought us to the very jaws of spiritual danger, being spiritually crushed at the teeth of the enemy. Compromise would be like the anglerfish. An anglerfish is a type of a fish that lives in the deep seas, the places where it is very dark, no sun. The sunlight and the rays of the sun do not get to the depths of the sea in that level. And so that this type of fish doesn't uh, get so much fish that it can prey on. It, can, it doesn't get all the uh, living creatures that are on the surface. But then this kind of fish, the anglerfish, has a trick up its sleeve. It has a certain light that comes from its head. There is something like uh, a protruding uh, tentacle from its forehead that has a light at the end. And so what normally happens is that a fish that is lost and that maybe it's hiding itself, it wants to go into the depths of the oceans, maybe to find some uh, maybe warmer waters or uh, a peaceful place, it would see some light. And it would come closer and closer to that light thinking that uh, this is a place to hide itself. But immediately it gets close to the light, then it realizes that there are I am just being faced by the open jaws of an anglerfish. And immediately it is swallowed. The thing that looked bright, the thing that looked shiny, the thing that attracted it to that place of peace and a place where it could see because it's in a dark place and it's thinking, ah, finally some light. Only for it to realize that it is a false light, that it is being led into the very jaws that will crush it and that will destroy its life. And that's how compromise looks like in our own lives. That sometimes we find ourselves in a dark place in life, right? It's very dark and we are looking for a place where we can hide ourselves and there we see a little light shining and it's getting brighter and brighter and we think, wow, Salvation has come. I can finally get some warmth, maybe, from that light, and I can get to see. And the closer we get, and the closer we get, and when we get to it, we realize, oh, oh, that light has not given us what it promised. It has given us danger. Here are the teeth. Here are the jaws of the anglerfish ready to crush us. And you remember we saw that 
for David. David in chapter 27 decides that he doesn't want to run away from Saul anymore. He is in a very dark place. He looks around Israel and he sees that wherever he has tried to hide himself, there are agents of Saul. He would try to hide himself in the Negev desert and there he would find the agents of Saul. He tries to hide himself in one city. He tries to hide himself in another town, in one place and another. All he would find is the danger of soul, the danger of soul. And David decides, you know what? I've had enough of this. Me and my men, we will go to the Philistines where we will get some relief. And although the land of the Philistines looks good, because, again, if you look back at chapter 27, 1 Samuel 27, we are told, then David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of, the, of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel. So notice that he didn't want to be in the borders of Israel. He needed to be out of the border so that he is safe. And I shall escape out of his hands. And so David arose and went over. He and 600 men uh, were with him to Akish, the son of Moak, Maok rather, uh, king of Gath, and David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives. So we see that, that David has peace, verse 4, and when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. So David has some temporary peace, but we saw that this temporary peace leads him to the jaws of compromise. He now finds himself where he has to fight for Akish. Akish, the king of the Philistines, has now set out to wage war against the people of Israel. He has declared war on Israel, the very people that are the kinsmen of David. The people that he should be their king, he now finds himself in a situation where he has to fight his own people. But the doom and gloom of chapter 27 lead us to the realities, the gracious realities of chapter 29, where we see that God saves his people even in the midst of compromise. That even when we have been attracted by that glowing, shiny thing, and we have drawn closer and closer to it, and we have realized that we have put ourselves in the jaws of compromise, and we are about to be swallowed up, that even then, even in this situation, the hand of God is still able to rescue. And so this is a gracious text that we are going to be looking at. It is a beautiful text because we all find ourselves in compromise, don't we? We all find ourselves, it could be private, could be public. We all find ourselves sometimes caught up in 
the jaws of compromise and we are looking around and we are wondering, how will I be able to get myself out of this? Well, we see that we ought to look to the Lord. We ought to look to him because he is able to rescue us, to restore us, and to strengthen us. And so the first thing I want us to see is that the Lord's servant is in the midst of compromise. We established that in chapter 27, but now here it is. We are told that now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek. So we have the Philistines on one side, and Israel has encamped in Jezreel. And look at this situation. As the laws of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing in the rear with Achish. The opening scene of this passage is chilling. It is chilling and worrying to the godly because we see the, the Philistines' armies gather against the people of God, the people of Yahweh. It is a worrying reality that the people of God are again in danger of their great enemy, the Philistines. We see the armies of the Philistines and their commanders march and display their strength before they go to battle. This was a tradition. You know how today soldiers march before their commander-in-chief or before their commander? This, that, what, what we do today was actually borrowed from what the armies used to do long ago. The armies, before they would go to war, they would march before their kings and their lords so that they would display their weapons, they would display their arsenal, they would display their strength before they go to war. And here we have a big and huge display of strength. But even more worrying, and the author wants us to focus on this, is that this picture is not, it's not just worrying because the Philistines are ready for war. It is that someone is, in the camp, is in the, inside the camp of the Philistines. And who is in the camp of the Philistines? David. David, who had been anointed in 1 Samuel 16 to be the, the king of Israel. And the author wants us to see that there is a problem. This picture does not make sense. That the Philistines are going to war against Yahweh's people. And in the midst of this, the person who is also among them is the man who is supposed to lead and to protect and to help the people of Yahweh. It's like you are being robbed. Robbers are breaking into your house and lo and behold, you look outside and you find out the people who are helping them is a policeman in full uniform. You know, you would be shocked. That would concern you more than the thugs, isn't it? You would actually focus more on the, I mean, is he here to help? Is, why is that policeman in full uniform walking 
and helping these guys and telling them, no, actually, come and break the door this side. This is the same picture that the author wants us to see, that the very person who should be helping Israel is marching with the enemies of God's people. The message is clear. David and his men are in a place that they should not be, and they are doing a job that they should not be doing. We must remember that all this happened because, again, David was seeking refuge in the camp of the Philistines. Many commentators look at chapter 27 as a low point for David because he should have stayed in Israel. The Lord was able to protect him in the borders of Israel. The Lord had protected him over and over and over and over again. But he thought to himself, now I will perish in the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me that, that, than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. What a sad situation. David had sought refuge in the, in the camp of the Philistines, the enemy of God's people. And even though he got temporary peace and ease, this led him to a situation of compromise by becoming the servant of Akish, and now he is the servant of the Philistines against God's people. And when we look at this, we can look at David and point fingers at David. David, how could you do that? Right? We think that if we were in that situation, we would be the ones pointing fingers at David. But the reality is, Hasn't the scriptures pointed fingers at you and I for our own compromises? Haven't you and I found ourselves in a place where we have compromised because of ease? Where we have made a wrong decision, even a sinful decision, so that we may get ease. And sadly, we look back at that day and it hurts us, and it pains us. So before you point fingers at David, remember your own life. Look at yourself and the compromises that you have walked into. Or a compromise maybe right now that you are in. And you're wondering, oh Lord, what am I doing in this place? Why did I allow myself to be in this kind of a situation? And you know, again, with... Compromise is like a slippery slope, isn't it? You just compromise a bit, and it leads to more compromise and more compromise and more compromise. And before you know it, you are in the thick of this web. You have tied yourself up in a knot. Have you ever seen those knots uh, that you don't even know where to start? in removing the threads. You know, you, people come to you and they ask you, you know, how did you get yourself here? You even ask yourself, to be honest, I don't even know how I got here. 
You ask yourself, how did I get myself into this knot, this situation? And you trace it back to just one point of a wrong move. Seeking ease, seeking peace. Just a little compromise. A little allowing of sin. And here you are. We are being warned here. Do not play around with compromise. Do not think that you will get away with seeking ease in the enemy's camp and there will be no consequences. There are consequences. You may not see it right now. Whatever you play with here will show itself on this side. You may be right now getting the ease, the comfort, and you may fool everyone. It's one of the things that I find myself, you know, talking to someone who is in clear, they are walking towards sin or compromise and they are giving themselves reason. You may fool all of us. You might fool your pastors, you might fool your parents, you might fool the church. But the reality is you cannot fool God. And that compromise will catch up with you. Do not bow down to a situation where you are in the mix of the enemy camp because of desiring ease. You have a situation where you're saying, let me just get married to this person. They are not really a Christian, but he or she is a good person. And, and even when they talk to pastor, pastor seemed to have accepted this. And the church seemed to have accepted this. You can do that and think you have gotten away with it. But guess what? You cannot serve the enemy and not have a pain. Like Pastor Eric always says, sin is a master who will ensure that he pays you. You will get the wages of sin. You will find yourself in the very edges, in the very jaws of destruction. Watch out. Watch out against those private compromises. We may not see them. No one might know about them. Watch out. You find ease, you find peace. It will demand more more and more and more. David finds himself here. He is passing with Aki. She's being displayed as one of the people who will now go against God's people. What a sad situation. But then secondly, as we look at God's help, we see that here is David. David is marching with Akish. David is being displayed as one of Akish's uh, weapons against Israel. David doesn't say, no, 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 I will not march. I will not follow Akish. David is, David is silent, but God is working in the background. Actually, many commentators say that uh, uh, um, on their commentary of 
1 Samuel 29, that you will notice that God does not speak in 1 Samuel 29. You don't see God speaking in this passage. It is such a low moment that we don't see the voice of God. But even though we don't see the voice of God, we do see the hand of God at work to save David. David does not speak up to say, I will not fight. I will not do that. The Lord helps him. Now, does this, does this mean that we relax and allow ourselves to be carried on in sin, in compromise, so that the Lord may act on our behalf? No, this is not the purpose of this passage. This passage should actually show us the depth and the pain and the dangers that our own compromise brings to us and the dishonor that it brings to God. But we see that God does work in the background for the good of David. We are told in verse 4, but the commanders, as David is marching, but the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, that is Akish, send the man back that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. The scriptures show us that due to the weakness of even the godliest of men, and we see this throughout the scriptures, that even the godliest of men find themselves in falling into compromise. I mean, look at Abraham. And uh, the situation with Hagar. See, on and on, godly men, the godliest of men sometimes make the worst decision or they can make such a terrible decision that you wonder, why would they do this? You have a man like Peter, who Christ says, you know, that testimony that you've given about me, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. And then the same Peter is doing what? He's saying, you know, no, you shall not, that shall not happen to you. You will not go to the cross. And Christ has to rebuke him. David is here. A compromising situation. But, the other truth that we see in the Bible, although these men, godly men, are weak and sometimes make wrong decisions, not always, but sometimes, we see another truth in the scriptures, and that is that even when they are unfaithful, even when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, isn't it? I love that truth from second. Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. I mean, that's a wonderful truth, to know that when we are weak, when we mess up, he doesn't say, now I'm, I'm done with you. He 
still affords us aid. He still helps us and restores us. He works out for our good in the background. And in David's case, we might wonder how will he get himself out of this situation? If David decides to reject the command of Akish, maybe him and his men will be killed. And there's the situation, who will help David? David can't help himself, but God comes to his help. The question might ring in our minds, where will help come for, for, for David? But here it is, that Yahweh, although silent in this chapter, he will still aid his servant. Yahweh is silent, but his silent does not mean that he has abandoned his servant. God, in his own providence, works out division in the camp of the Philistines. He rescues David by bringing confusion to the camp of the Philistines. We see that the commanders of the Philistines were angry with Achish. They're not even angry with David. That's an, that's an interesting thing. They are angry with Achish and they tell Achish, no, we do not want to go with this man. I mean, what a wonderful working out of providence. That God works for his good. And we do see that in the Bible, God does use confusion as a means to bring judgment or to rescue his people. For example, in Genesis 11 and verse 7, we are told that God says, come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they may so that they may not understand one another's speech. So this is actually one of the things that God does, bringing confusion to bring out his purposes. Again, in Exodus 23 and verse 27, I will send my terror before you, and I will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. So God says he will bring confusion on the enemies of Israel. Psalm 55 and verse 9, God says, or rather this is the prayer made, destroy, O Lord, confuse their tongue, for I see violent and strife in the city. There are many other places where you see confusion, confusion, confusion as one of the ways, one of the means that God uses in his providence to bring about the rescuing of his people and the destruction of his enemies. And the lesson here for us is clear, that even though the righteous get themselves entangled in impossible situations, God works out. God will work out all things for their good. When we read those words in Romans 8, all things means all things. Even in our own weaknesses, 
God will use us for use that for our own good. Even when we fall into one compromise or another, and again, although it is sad and to our shame it happens, it's a shameful thing, it's a painful thing that we, being well advised by the scriptures, us who have been saved from the old master called sin, can actually then go back to the same old master and serve that old master. I mean, it's unthinkable. I remember asking um, uh, an older man who had come to teach us TPC, TPC uh, on, on, on that passage on Romans 6 in terms of can Christians sin? And he said, it's a terrible thing. It's a painful thing that we sin. It goes against our own nature. That's the uh, that's the theme of Romans 6, that how can we who are dead to sin can find ourselves in it? How can we play around with the same old master? How can we match with the same old master when we have been bought by another master? But oh, even in that, the Lord is faithful. And I'm sure as we go into Romans 7, we shall see that. That even though there is a law within us that works for the flesh and that desires, that allows the flesh to just manifest itself, where Paul even says, you know, the, the things I want to do, I do not do. And the things that I do not want to do, I find myself doing. That push and pull in us. You see that ultimately, Paul rests where? In Christ. He is blessed. The Lord. Thank God for Christ. Because God, in His faithfulness to us, when we are faithful, will rescue us, will help us, will strengthen us, will guide us. And sometimes He even uses providence to help us in situations of compromise. I'm sure maybe this has happened to you, right? where you, need, you are in this compromising situation and you had no idea how you will get yourself out. But then God causes just something to happen that risks, risks, rescues you from the compromise, isn't it? You are just about to sin. You are just about to find yourself falling into compromise. Then someone knocks on the door. Or someone calls you. Or something happens and you wonder, how did that thing happen just when I was about to sin? How is it that the lights just went out when I was just about to compromise by watching something on the laptop? How is it that my phone stopped working just when I was about to send that money to bribe so that I may get that job. The Lord does do that for our good. I've seen it in my own life. I'm sure you've seen it in your own lives where the Lord does bring things in a way that you find yourself. Or maybe 
as you are heading towards compromise, you meet up with a brother or a sister who help you to turn away from it. Or you listen to a sermon in church like this one. And it warns you and you turn away from compromise. This is the work of the Lord. And the Lord does this for his children, those whom he has bought, those whom the Father has bought in Christ, those who belong to him through Christ. They have this special privilege. Because they are his, he will keep them. He will bring confusion so that he may preserve them. But for the unbeliever, you are not protected. You are actually, in your nature, given to compromise. It is part of your nature. That's why you can't help yourself. You've tried therapy. You've tried counseling. You've tried all you can. But it doesn't help. Why? Because your very nature is given to the, your, to the enemy. We are all born in sin. We are all born with the Adamic fall in us. But those who repent of their sins and are in Christ, God loves and protects them. He will keep his children. But for you who is outside, you're actually under the wrath of God, the judgment of God. You have already been swallowed up by sin, by corruption. You are under the judgment of God. Repent. Run to Christ. Flee to Christ and he will save you. But again, for the believer, I want us to know that it's, again, a shameful thing that we find ourselves in this situation. But even when you have fallen, cry out to God. Cry out to him and he will help you. Don't be silent in the midst of compromise. Don't think that, oh, Lord, I am so tied up in compromise. I am so tied up in this sinful situation. No, cry out to God. God is able to open a door, open a way for us to escape. But then thirdly and lastly, as we see how God saves in the midst of compromise, we see that the Lord preserves the integrity of his servant, David. We see that David, yes, from chapter 27, is in a terrible place. And 29 has, chapter 29 has come where David now has been put in the service of Akish. But then the Lord brings confusion and Akish has to let go of David. And this is the work of the Lord again. Then Akish called David and said to him, as the Lord lives, you have been honest to me, uh, to me, uh, and to me, it seems right that you should march out and, uh, in, with me in the campaign, for I have found nothing wrong 
in you the days in the days of, of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably. So David is released from this situation. God preserves him and keeps him. And this is a work of God's grace. He is sent off without being harmed. He is sent off without not just being harmed, but his integrity being intact. The fact that the Lord rescues his elect in trouble is something that we see in the scriptures. It is sure. But the fact that he preserves their integrity even after he saves them is an even greater blessing, an even greater reality. That he rescues them and maintains their integrity, it is truly a work that only God could do. That someone can be in the midst of deep compromise and they are rescued and they come out clean on the other side, that is only the work of God. Not the work of man. It's not even the work of David himself. And we see this in verse 6 and verse 9. Look at what Akish says of David. I have found nothing wrong in you. You have been honest. Verse 9. And Akish answered David and said to him, I know you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Look at all those words coming from a Gentile king. That he looks at David and he sees David to be a man of integrity. And the author, again, of this passage records for us those words because they are important. They're important not just to Akish, they're important to us to see that the Lord did indeed preserve David and did keep him. We see that actually the fact that David is preserved in this way, David says about it, says about the salvation of the Lord this way in, if you turn to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel um, 22, 22 and verse, 2 Samuel 22 and verse 33. Look at what David states, says about the Lord. It's called the song of deliverance. And David says something about the salvation of the Lord, of how God delivered him. This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. So the Lord doesn't just help. He, had, he has made him to be a blameless man. And it's not that he is blameless because he was 
good and he did no wrong, no. Because God made him that way. He preserved him. He kept him. He made his way blameless. And therefore we see here that through the mouth of a gentle king and an enemy of God's people, that these wonderful and remarkable words are spoken of David. Akish proclaims David to be a faithful and good servant, a blameless man. And such praises from the lips of Akish to be recorded is great. They show to us the greatness of God in preserving his people. God was kind to David. God was good to David. He ensures that David leaves the lands of, uh, land of the Philistines without having sinned against him. That he would go back to Israel having been blameless. Not just before Achish, but before the people of Israel. Because again, imagine a situation where David had to go to war against Israel. That would have been a huge tarnish on David. But God preserves him. God ensures that David comes out of it well preserved. Now, when we look at this passage and we look at ourselves, does it mean that we will jump into compromise and come out blameless? Not always. We see that in this side of eternity, God does allow that we deal with the consequences of our own compromise, right? You fall into sin, you have to deal. Even though the Lord does rescue us, we, some of us are carrying those scars of our own compromise. In our own bodies, in our own minds, in one way or another. All of us have those situations where you look back with regret and you have something that reminds you of, or a thought that reminds you of a compromise that you allowed yourself into. But here's a beautiful truth for those who are in Christ. That for those who are in Christ, we are promised, Christ does promise that in the life to come, that he will do what? According to Jude 24, uh, sorry, Jude 24, what does Christ promise? That he will do what? He will present us blameless. We may be full of scars on this side of eternity. We may be full of emotional, physical scars because of our own compromise, and the Lord does allow that. But on the other side of eternity, what a blessed reality that we will be blameless before him. Let me just read those words of Jude 24. A wonderful uh, doxology that I like giving us a benediction. Look at that, this words. Now to him who is able to 
keep you from stumbling. So he's able to keep us, first of all, in compromise and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God. It's only God who can do this. No pastor can do this for you. No church can do this for you. It is only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Look at another passage in 1 Thessalonians. First Thessalonians 3 and verse 13. Let me read from verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts, what? Blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all he says. You know, as we hear about uh, Pastor Murungi teaching us about the second coming of Christ. For us as, a, as believers, it's not a terror. It's not a terror for us because finally we get to be declared and to be made blameless. We look at our faults, we look at our sins, our weaknesses, and we say, oh, come Lord Jesus. Why? Because the Lord Jesus, when he returns, he will establish us blameless before him. And then again, 1 Thessalonians, there are many other passages, but I just thought we would sample a few. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 and 24, another passage I use as a benediction. First Thessalonians 5, verse 23 to 24, sorry. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Christ has won for us. That there is coming a day that we will be declared blameless. Right now we fall and we have faults, and we have weaknesses, and we fall into compromise. And oh, how painful it is. But the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, for those who have put their faith in Him, their hope in Him, we look forward to it. Why? We. It's not like how David is said to be blameless by Akish, the king, it will be Christ, the King, as he comes for judgment. Why do we have this? It's because Christ was tempted in every way. He was tempted by the enemy in every way, in the wilderness, in his ministry. He, had he, he was given and presented opportunity to compromise. 
you know, the devil comes to him and wants him to compromise. Why not do this? Why not turn this rock into bread? Why not bow down before me? Why not jump from the pinnacle of the temple? And in that, that situation, Christ never compromised, even in one situation. He was without sin when compromising situations came. And because of that, he was the lamb that was perfect, that was pure. The lamb that God put on, on all our sins. He became the propitiation for our sins. He became our high priest who was tempted as we are in every respect, yet without sin. For those who are not in Christ, when Christ returns, you will not be declared blameless, you will be declared guilty before him. And he will cast you into an eternal hell because he is a great king and all sin is against him. But here's the good news. Repent and believe and he will save you. Turn to him. Why are you still waiting? Why are you still struggling to deal with your own sins when you know you cannot? Look to him and he will save you. But again, to the believer, I pray that we look forward to that great day when our Lord and Savior returns. Because it is that on that day we will be declared blameless before the heavenly host, before God the Father. Because we are in him. Although we have fallen short. Although like David we have put ourselves in situations that we ourselves regret and that bring pain, that grieve the Holy Spirit, that bring pain to God's church, that bring pain to our own consciences, yet because of him, and that's why we need to be constantly looking to him, constantly putting our hope in him, because through Christ and in Christ, we will be declared blameless. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come before you this evening and we thank you for your word. We thank you, oh Lord, that we who of find ourselves in compromise, one compromise after another. Sometimes we overcome those compromises. Other times we fall and how painful and shameful it is, O oh Lord. But we thank you that you do not abandon your people when they fall. You do not abandon us when we turn away from what is written in your word. You restore us. And you ensure that we are blameless. And we thank you, O oh, Heavenly Father, that on that day when Christ returns, we will be declared blameless, not because of our own works, not because of what we have done or not done, but because of what Christ 
our king did. That even though he was tempted in every way, even though he was tempted to compromise, he did not compromise even at one point. And we pray, O oh Lord, help us that our faith would continually be on him. That we would continue focusing and looking to him for help and for strength. We pray, O oh Lord, for those who are playing around with sin in our midst. Those who have found themselves in situations where they've been able to fool themselves and even fool others. Those who have sought peace in the camp of the enemy, who are playing around with sin, O oh Lord, we pray that this message would warn them of the great danger that they are putting themselves into. O oh Lord, we pray that we would be a church that warns one another, lest the root of sin grows in our midst. Please preserve us. Have mercy on us, O oh Lord. And we pray again, O oh Lord, we look forward to that day when you will declare us blameless before your Father because of our faith. We thank you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.